0: Yo, I just watched the craziest video. I watched this white couple, Trump-loving couple. Matter of fact, uh, white guy's got his you know got his red hat on and got his Trump shirt on, and I watched this white couple supposedly deface a Black Lives Matter mural. And so the mural, um, and we've seen a lot of them all over the country. Uh, was painted on the street in yellow letters. And so what uh, this couple did, and I should be very specific to say that what this white woman did uh, was she painted over the yellow letters in black paint. Not black paint that was the same color as the street as if to wipe out the message, but she painted over the letters in a way that, in my opinion, Uh, made the mural look better, made the mural look uh, more distinctively black. And so it was a constant reminder for me that racism makes people do the dumbest things. Now, I could certainly go on and I could talk about the uh, irony of a white man uh, running his mouth uh, while a white woman is doing the work of uh, white supremacy. But that that's another podcast for another day. And I also want to say that uh, this couple uh, has been charged uh, with a number of things to include a hate crime, which just adds to uh, their stupidity. Yet in this moment, I want to focus on the idea of painting the word black in black paint. In other words, we have a situation of black on black. The most familiar use of. That phrase, black on black, I'm sad to say, is the use of the phrase black on black crime. And so when I think about um, that myth, that notion of black on black crime, and I think about it in combination with the phrase that defines uh, the movement that we're seeing, which is Black Lives Matter. When we choose to combine the idea of Black Lives Matter with this notion, this myth, Of black on black crime what we end up with is black lies matter and the lie goes deeper than black on black crime the lie is also in the mural because I look at the mural and I look at its most famous incarnation which is in Washington DC and so that mural was celebrated and that mayor Muriel Bowser was also celebrated for Uh, presenting that mural uh, in the heart of downtown. But the lie is in the fact that while you painted a mural that said Black Lives Matter, you have proposed to dramatically increase the police budget during a time where people are challenging police brutality, specifically against Black people. On today's episode of Making a Difference, I want to get to the ugly truth. The ugly truth is that while so many of us are searching for Black-on-Black crime. There are black faces in prominent positions who are doing the work of white supremacy. That work is being done in places to include our nation's capital, Atlanta, Georgia, Chicago, Illinois. In our continuing quest for black liberation, we're going to deal with two of the last temptations. The first temptation is a hesitance to challenge black elected officials to Simply because they are black. The second temptation is the desire to regress to black-on-black crime rhetoric when we see instances of intra-racial violence. This and so much more on making a difference.
1: Um, to be a Negro, to be a Negro in this country, and to be um, relatively conscious is to be in a state of rage almost almost all of the time
2: you wonder why I spit the truth but not to make no dough to make a difference
0: Welcome to another episode of Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. So glad you are choosing to listen to this very, very important episode of Making a Difference. I want to shout out Donald Doe. Donald Doe said, man, I thought you was dropping this podcast uh, yesterday. Apologies for the delay. Appreciation for the accountability, man. We are here live and direct with this episode of Making a Difference. Man, I want to talk about... The myth, the lie of black on black crime. I want to talk about black elected officials. I want to talk about black labor. I want to talk about black buying power. This episode, when I say it's black on black, it's really black on black on black on black on black. It's blackity black black, black.
2: And I'm black, yo. And I'm blacker than black and I'm black, yo. And I'm black, yo. And I'm black, yo. And I'm blacker than black and I'm black, yo. I'm blacker black, blacker than black. I'm blacker than black, yo, because I'm black and I'm black. you I'm black and I'm black, yo. And I'm blacker than black and I'm black, yo. And
0: I'm black, yo. I'm glad we could clear that up now before i you know really jump into this episode and i'm just i'm gonna be brutally honest about a number of topics but i want to talk about black lives matter and just black lives matter as an idea because black lives matter as an idea is indisputable it's relevant it was relevant yesterday it's relevant today it's going to be you know relevant from now on but what we're seeing this is what's happening with black lives matter Uh, when we saw the murder of george floyd and we saw the initial protests those protests were by the people for the people. There was a certain level of energy to those protests that was so profound and that created immediate structural change. What we're seeing now uh, in kind of this uh, second act, if you will, is kind of a, a corporate manifestation of Black Lives Matter. And so we're seeing this now. And so we're seeing, you know, these corporations and they're saying, well, hey, you know, we stand with you. We stand in solidarity with you. And it's just these very performative gestures that lack policy. And so in these gestures, you have, you know, uh, occurrences or events uh, such as, you know, the Black Lives Matter mural in D.C. in Charlotte. And so while you have, these performative gestures, you have the work of white supremacy going on behind the scenes. You have more money that's being invested uh, in police budgets. You have this continued culture of police brutality uh, and harassment um, at the expense of black people. And so these things are not changing, even as uh, virtually the entire country you know, was kind of falling in, in line with, like I said, just this this outward idea and this 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 gesturing that's associated with Black Lives Matter and black politicians are certainly not exempt. Now, at this point, I want to tell you a personal story because I've participated in a number of protests myself uh, throughout the state of South Carolina and um, in Georgia. And just to be very specific, I have participated or covered protests uh, in Augusta, Georgia, in North Augusta, South Carolina and in Columbia, South Carolina, which is going to be the focus of this story that I share with you. Um, I went to a protest in Colombia, went there around the afternoon, early morning. And so it was what people, you know, tend to define as a, quote, peaceful protest. And I might as well break off this story now because I'm very early into the story and I want to talk about this notion of peaceful protest. And I understand the look, that's another temptation of people to say, well, hey, You know, we want to validate or invalidate a protest by whether it's peaceful or not. And I think it's important to understand that in this moment, whether you I uh, excuse me, whether you agree with the idea um, of, you know, tearing up stuff, uh, looting of protesting. Understand that it is these actions that have yielded immediate structural change. And so. I mean, it really just if we're honest about this stuff, you have to understand that America is a very violent country with a very violent history. And so as we have seen um, violent campaigns uh, dramatically change our political and our social structure, you can go through history. You can look at the American Revolution. You can look at Reconstruction. Uh, Very specifically, you can go to the year 1876 and you can see in response to a post-Civil War a renaissance and reconstruction uh, that yielded black um power black political power um you know just uh a social uh, uplift that the response to that was white supremacist violence uh we look at jim crow and we look at the violence of that period even in the midst of a civil rights movement so yeah ha- so you have to understand and you have and we have to be very honest um that, that is the language that America speaks and that is a language that America understands and it is no coincidence that in the midst of rioting that you've gotten these um, great that you've gotten these profound uh, social changes in some areas. With that said, I attended a protest in Columbia, South Carolina that for much of the time I you know marched and you know protested with the group, it was a largely peaceful protest. That protest made its way to the Columbia Police Department building or facility. And I was there and, of course, people were chanting and, you know, shouting and, you know, rebuking the police as, you know, has been familiar with a lot of these protests. At some point during this, um, you know, this period of time where obviously there was a lot of angst, uh, someone threw a water bottle at one of the police officers at one of the or at one of the police. I believe it was a uh, wasn't even at the police. It was at um, at the building. And so. As you can imagine, the response, you know, some people scattered um, and and it's a a justifiable response in terms of, you know, you don't want that type of activity for the simple reason that we can only assume that there's water in the bottle. We don't know what else is in that bottle and what, you know, could have escalated from that. With that said, I was one of the folks who once I saw, you know, that um, there were projectiles and things being thrown, I got myself out of that area. Now, as I'm leaving that particular area, what I see is, is I see a profound escalation of force by the police. And what I mean by that is, is that I saw multiple police officers come out of that building in full riot gear with, you know, shields and all of these different types of things. Now, like I said, with respect to the understanding that you cannot throw things at the police, I also understand that once you escalate a conflict to the point of where you feel like you need riot gear, then there's a certain level of inevitability that's going to come with that escalation. And it's going to end with the type of policing that looks like a military-style invasion. Sure enough, as I watched the news, and actually, this wasn't even on the news. This was on Twitter. And so I saw on Twitter a report out of Colombia, and it wasn't even a report. It was a video. And so what do I see but a SWAT truck, a militarized uh, SWAT truck, and I see... Um, Columbia police officers walking in full riot gear uh, through the heart of downtown, through the business district. And it looked like something out of a war movie. And the first thing that I said was, this is unnecessary. Now, surely, you know, we see these type of things and the country has become polarized in a way that we assume that, you know, hey, whoever, you know, called in, um, you know, for this type of policing had to be an individual, you know, who was a member of the Republican Party, you know, GOP. Conservative politics, not even close. Steve Benjamin, the mayor of Columbia, South Carolina, black man, affiliated with the Democratic Party, he was the man who waged war on a significant population of his black constituency. Uh, was a man who, uh, like I said, as the protests escalated, had said at one point, and this is a direct quote, uh, told protesters to take your asses home. He used some rhetoric, you know, associated with outside agitators and ultimately in in one of the interviews that he did you know he was standing side by side with uh, police and talked out of both sides of his mouth
3: when protests go from being peaceful to being violent the conversation changes we have people out there right now not all of them but a significant number of them who are violating city ordinances who are violating state law who are violating federal law and it just won't be tolerated. We're going to have conversations, continuing conversations with community leaders that these two men in particular have been leading for decades now, pushing for systemic reform and policing, pushing for changes, ensuring 21st century policing, ensuring transparent and accountable systems of justice to the best law enforcement officers this country has, surrounded by public policy leaders and a community that believes in them. Are we perfect? Absolutely not. Do we aspire to build them a perfect union? Absolutely so. We're going to keep doing that. But what's happening right now cannot and will not be tolerated in this city. Not as long as I'm the mayor. We're going to shut it down and shut it down right now. We've had a curfew in effect that expires on June the 9th, but that curfew is immediately uh, being moved up from 11 p.m. to 6 p.m. It is in effect as we speak for all downtown and the Vista If you're not home right now, you need to get home, get off the streets or you're in violation of city ordinance and you will be arrested. Hard stop. Thank you. God bless you. We're gonna continue praying for the thousands and millions affected by systemic racism and brutality, including police brutality across this country and working to make sure that we have a system of justice that works for everyone. We're going to pray for the families of George Floyd and so many others affected by this. But we're calling on the better angels of everyone out here. Those from Colombia and those not. For my Colombians, I need you to realize this is your city. We have to protect this city. I urge you to go home, seek shelter, be safe. For those not from our city,
0: I want you to take your asses home right now. Oh, y'all thought I was playing. <laughs> when i said that he said that huh no nah, i told you he said it he said it just like that. take your asses home now i am very tempted to address uh mayor benjamin's uh, outside agitators rhetoric and if you don't understand where that rhetoric comes from it comes from the 60s and it's something that you know was used by segregationists to discourage the likes of folks like you know uh, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., you know, when they would go to various towns and they would, you know, uh, raise up concerns in regards to social and racial justice. That was the terminology uh, that was used, the phrasing that was used at that time was they were called outside agitators. And so, you know, there are certain phrases in it, and this really shows the power of words. Um, I'm really tempted to address that, but I think it's more important to look at some of the other rhetoric. Uh, that the mayor used in that particular moment, and that was the rhetoric of, we're going to keep praying, and you know all of this this religious rhetoric that is being used in the place of actual accountability. And I don't mean accountability accountability, you know, by saying, well, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna have uh, conversations and dialogue. The time for that has passed. In moments where there are protests that are so profound that pour through the streets where people are are crying out against uh, systemic racism and, you know, injustice. What elected officials need to start doing is saying, we messed up. We messed up. We understand why you are angry and we're going to take the immediate steps to rectify the situation. We don't get that. And we don't get that and those things don't happen because we have to understand Steve Benjamin... And those politicians of his ilk have positioned themselves in a way where they would rather serve business interests, corporate interests, the interests of the white and wealthy instead of serving the interests of people who look like them. This is why it's so easy for folks like Steve Benjamin, Keisha Lance Bottoms, Lori Lightfoot to stand in lockstep with the police because the police serve the exact same interests. The police are not here to serve and protect black people. I'm going to tell you exactly how I know this. And this is the irony of having a conversation about black on black. Because whose responsibility is it to curb and resolve and rectify crime? It's the role of the police. We have given resources to the police, a significant portion and percentage of the resources in many communities to protect, and to serve. So if they are failing and their failure is based upon not only racism, not only um, because of brutality, but also neglect, then why do we continue to pour money into these institutions? It's the definition of insanity. It's doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. And this is why I challenge elected officials and black elected officials with such fervor because I understand what their blackness in that position represents. And I understand how many people look to them for leadership. And part of that leadership um, is related to their blackness. And I understand what happens when those individuals say, well, blackness isn't a part of this. I have to you know, be a leader because forsaking that blackness is forsaking a part of the constituency. It's forsaking uh, the part of your constituency that needs the most help. And this is why gentrification is so rampant. This is why police brutality is so rampant, because the people whom we uh, trust, whom we elect to uh, create social and structural change uh, are intentionally deficient. I got into a spirited debate on social media with some folks about Keisha Lance Bottoms and, you know, uh, her role uh, in regards to the police and this notion of tearing up your own community and well i mean she can't let people you know uh tear up the entire town and it's overstated for one it's not their communities it's you know it's buckhead it's you know this uh, wealthy area that when we talk about where you're tearing up your own neighborhood it's it's categorically false because we're talking about people who not only don't have access to these communities as consumers, they don't have access to these communities, I mean economic access to these communities as consumers, but they don't have economic access as entrepreneurs. So how can you say it's their their own neighborhood? There's a way to police the situation without waging war on your community or on people who look like you. And it's amazing because the same energy that's used to attack black people who are protesting the system And attack them relentlessly and recklessly is the same type of relentless and reckless commentary that we get from uh, these elected officials uh, when they come to the podium. Enough
4: is enough. Enough is enough. We have talked about this movement that's happening across America in this moment in time where we have the ears and the interest of people across this country and across this globe who are saying they want to see change. But the difference in this moment in time with the civil rights movement, the civil rights movement, there was a defined common enemy. So we're fighting the enemy within when we are shooting each other up on our streets in this city and you shot and killed a baby and it wasn't one shooter, there were at least two shooters, an eight-year-old baby. If you want people to take us seriously and you want, you don't want us to lose this movement, then we can't lose each other.
0: Here you have a black elected official who is being vetted for vice president of the United States who cannot differentiate between Black Lives Matter and this notion of Black-on-Black crime, this myth, this lie of Black-on-Black crime. And will go so far as to say, if you want to be serious in regards to the conversation about Black Lives Matter, then there needs to be some type of spirit of understanding as it relates to this myth, this lie. Let's be perfectly clear about something right here and right now. If I, a Black man, shoot another Black man, I'm going to jail, no questions asked. The problem that we have in this country and the profound distinction between what we describe as intra-intra racial crime versus police brutality is that police are killing black people disproportionately and are being protected by the system. That is the entire problem. And if you're in a position of leadership and you cannot understand that, that you need to resign, but again, there's a certain type of energy that's reserved for intra-racial crime in the black among black people, and there is a different type of energy that is reserved for the police.
4: You know, I just think it's, it's time for all of us to take responsibility and to be responsible during this time. This is not the time for us to pull back on the number of people we have on the street. This is not the time um, for us to throw up our hands and say we're, we're, you know, everybody needs to be responsible during this time. I'll I'll just say that. And that, that goes from every single elected official down to all of our police officers. And again, last night, all of our officers showed up you know and there have been these questions about whether or not I support our officers I continue to support our officers I've never stopped supporting our officers I appreciate the jobs that they do and I've said it repeatedly when my nephew was murdered in a case of mistaken identity who did I call on? I called on APD to help solve his murder so I personally know how important our officers are and I've I've met chief ryan when he was my zone commander in zone four so i know what a good working relationship with our communities look like and i continue to support that but it's it's a tough time in our communities right now and it's a tough time on our, on our officers right now we're catching it from every single side and and i just go back to something one of our student activists said during Um, a meeting I had with him, he said, we gotta stop having this us versus them conversation. This is a we conversation. For us to get out of this where we are, this this is we, this is all of us working together saying, we all perhaps have fallen short and can do better. But it is extremely frustrating to have the entire nation, this diverse gathering of people, proclaiming that black lives matter and then you have two black men shoot a baby in the backseat of a car. That's frustrating. And I'm, I'm just saying all of us, we all have to do better. We all have to do better. And this is not about the people who are gathering peacefully. This is about the people who are standing by where people are wreaking havoc and killing children, innocent people in our communities.
0: There's a graciousness in that conversation and the tone of that commentary that is simply not reserved for her black constituency. And there is a problem with that, because even as she describes an incident of police brutality that happened in her own family, she was able to maintain a certain level of composure because there's an inherent trust that she has of the police. A trust, mind you, that is unfounded when you look at the entirety of black people. But here's my message to black elected officials in this moment is that no matter how much you play up to wealthy people, to white people, they are always going to think that you were not worthy of that position. There is a hatred of black folks in elected positions that exists simply because those black folks are in position of authority. And so it's even worse when you pass policy. Or you allow for things to happen in your communities that add angst among black people, because now here's what you have. You're going to have frustrations from black folks and from white folks. So you're going to be in a no win position. And this is why so many of our black elected officials are inefficient and weak and indecisive because they find themselves caught between serving the interests of white and wealthy folks and putting on a black face. I should end the podcast right there, man. But I'm just going to go to commercial. And when I come back, I want to talk about black labor in the midst of a pandemic. You're listening to Making the Difference.
2: It's the West Coast diva. Tell them, follow the leader. It's yo, yo.
4: You're listening to Making the Difference with Ken Making.
0: Do you need insurance for your car, home, life or business? Then trust Jay Harvey, your all state insurance agent in Evans, Georgia. He opened his agency in 2017 because he loves helping and working with people. As a husband and father, he understands the importance of helping families prepare for the unexpected. You can get a personalized insurance quote today by calling 706-434-8106. Jay's office is located at 3118-8 William Few Parkway in Evans, Georgia. Remember, you're in good hands with Jay Harvey, your neighborhood Allstate insurance agent. I want to encourage you to support independent black media. Portrayals of our people in mass media often come off with a spirit of either disinterest or seem to be disingenuous. It's not enough for outlets such as this one to be professional, but also passionate because the issues that we talk about here are very personal and specific to black people. You can make a one time donation to the Making a Difference show via Cash App at dollar sign making, M A K I N, a difference show. Or you could become a month to month supporter of the Making a Difference show through Patreon by going to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com backslash making and make K-I-N a difference show. Thank you for Thank your support. support. Welcome back to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. I appreciate you all's patience uh, with the last segment. I really wanted to break that down and explain it in a way to help people you know, really understand the responsibility of being a black elected official and really of the word black in general, because here's what happens with that word is that the way that this country is set up. Once you put the word black in front of something, it becomes polarized. You can take a word like church and you can put black in front of it. And black church means something, you know, powerful, political. You can do that with a lot of different words and a lot of different ideas. And so there is a power and a responsibility that goes with that. Certainly. You have an elected official, and then you say a black elected official. There's a certain type of uh, power and influence and polarity that's denoted with that, and so with that power, you know, comes a certain responsibility to black people specifically, and we can never get away from that. You know, if we're going to talk about black people in politics, as I promised before the break, I want to talk about black labor in the midst of a pandemic, and I believe it's important for the simple reason that. Black labor ties all of this together. If we're going to have a conversation about Black Lives Matter, uh, we have to have a conversation about Black labor, about how we negotiate in terms of Black labor, about what type of um, dollars that said labor yields and, you know, the role of reparations and all of these things. It all ties together. And the reason why it all ties together is because you don't have America without Black labor, period. And so when I talk about ideas, you know, on the Making a Difference Facebook page. I'll talk about these ideas on Twitter when I share these thoughts and ideas. Understand that I'm sharing them from the perspective of where I prioritize and I appreciate and I promote black labor and I do so in a way that is anti-capitalist for a very simple reason. is that I understand the connection between slavery and capitalism. And I understand that When we look at capitalism, American capitalism, as this idea of winners and losers, you have to understand that this country was built by black labor, but at the same time, it systematically um, operated and was designed, it's systematically rather designed to ensure that black people are losers. So how do we deal with that reality and how do we fight against that oppressive system um, in this country? And so if we're going to have that fight and have that conversation, we have to understand, like I said, the power of black labor. I'm going to start this from the top. Once again, black labor built this country. Without black labor, there is no America. So everything that happened after that, even when you talk about uh, the eventual emancipation of black folks, and I I really want to dig into that. I've had the good fortune to write some columns uh, for the christian science monitor and so as i've written these columns um as i've shared with folks the the blessing is that i'm actually you know being uh, paid to research the history of my people and to research the history of this country and so what i find is is that in the 1860s which is such a crucial and important time uh, in regards to black liberation and emancipation in this country which you had even before the emancipation proclamation is that you had this act out of the district, the district of columbia that paid slave owners for emancipated slaves so sure enough slave owners received reparations that isn't that is a stati- that is the truth that is a fact that happened so and that happened prior to the foundation and the formation of the Emancipation Proclamation. And so as we well know, as we well understand, even as the Emancipation Proclamation was enacted in 1863, that promise was not realized for some states, most notably Texas, until June 19th, 1865, which is why we recently celebrated Juneteenth. It is worth mentioning in this moment that there were still some territories and still some areas that were not freed from the bondage of slavery, and I mean that literally for those people, but also though for those territories, they were not freed until the Thirteenth Amendment. And I must say, even with the Thirteenth Amendment, there is an adage in there, and there's a point that is to say that, hey, you're um, you're free from slavery unless you know you're being punished for a crime, and so that is a a loophole that is being taken advantage of even through this day with the prison um, industrialization complex. And I will get to the specifics of that and give you an example here very shortly. But I just, I want to lay out that groundwork as a means of explaining to you the labor, um, the, the, the component of black labor and how that labor has gone largely unpaid, even in reconstruction. And we celebrate reconstruction as a, limited period of time where, you know, there was a promise of, you know, black political power and black labor and all these different types of things. There were still efforts to uh, recoup and reclaim uh, property and people for white folks. And so this happened during a period and it happened actually in a specific year of 1868, where uh, many Confederates were pardoned by the U S government by the president during that time, I believe it was Andrew Johnson. And so not only were these folks pardoned, they were able to recoup the lands that had been given, um, particularly along the coast um, had been given to black folks in South Carolina, in Georgia, in Florida. And these, and these promises were made. Actually they were made um, after the civil war. They were made in 1865. You can look up special orders number 15 and that's where you get this whole idea in terms of reparations, we hear reparations described as 40 acres and a mule. The 40 acres piece of that comes about by by uh, virtue of Special Order Number no. 15. It was signed by uh, General Sherman, uh, who was a Union War general. I told you I ain't playing with y'all today, man. Look, fa- facts only is what we're doing on making a difference. And it's just it's amazing to me how all of this is coming together because, you know, I'm talking about black labor and I'm eventually going to talk about black buying power and different things like that. And certainly Making a Difference is a show that, you know, we recognize that we are not only in black media, but we are a black business. And that's why we promote black business on this show. But we have to understand um, the importance of uh, fighting for rights and freedoms for not only the entrepreneur, but for the employee. And I'm, I'm just taking because all of this stuff is just kind of coming at me at once, man. And all this, like I said, just this amazing information, this amazing um, understanding. Of history and the responsibility, you know, of that knowledge. But with that said, I want to talk about black labor in a pandemic, because when the pandemic started, we highlighted the importance of the essential worker. And that's a phrase that was popularized in the media. I feel a lot about. I feel the same way about essential worker that I feel about Black Lives Matter murals. You know, it's a it's a performative gesture that does not promise policy or payment to um, those who have who have worked, um, for the good of society. And so we see this, um, you know, we see the frontline worker and there is a, a face of the frontline worker that I want people to understand is a black face. And I want people to understand that as you walk in grocery stores and you see people stocking the shelves, you see black faces, you see, uh, the folks who are bringing these resources in, uh, to, you know, these, uh, grocery stores and to these, uh, re- these, uh, retail stores and places like that and these are black folks driving trucks and so we look in the hospitals and we see black nurses we see black doctors you know we see uh, and and here's a like i said here's some people that we don't see we don't look in the hospitals and we don't see the folks who are doing the custodial work you know who are responsible in that regard you know these faces are black and so when the media initially reported on the central workers, our faces were not represented. The first real representation that black folks saw in the midst of the pandemic, in the midst of the, the COVID-19 shutdown, was when there was an assessment of statistical data that said black folks are a disproportionate amount of COVID-19 cases. And so when this was realized, initially the media failed to correlate the high number of cases to systemic racism that exists uh, in healthcare, and more distinctly and more dis- uh, specifically, the folks who were on the front lines who were becoming a part of the uh, cases of COVID 19 people who did not have the option to work from home and I might add were not being adequately paid for their labor. I want to make some things clear because. When I talk about ideas on this show, and I understand that some of them are ideas, they are based on things that I know that our government and that businesses can do. And I don't allow government and business to make the excuse of a lack of resources because I understand that folks make investments in things that they want to invest in. And that I, understand, I also understand that part of capitalism is taking advantage of labor. And so when I say things like, you know, I understand that, you know, if a person's making $11 an hour regularly, which is not a sufficient wage, living wage, and the minimum wage should be $20. I also understand that in this moment, if you're working during a pandemic, you absolutely, if you're making $11 an hour and you're an essential worker or a frontline worker, you should be making $22 an hour off top. And... If you are to find yourself in a position where you have to work overtime, then you should be making time and a half, which is to say that you should be making thirty three dollars an hour. You can adjust that for, you know, how much how much you know you're making in terms of a, of a wage. This is not unreasonable. This is understanding the power of labor and not only understanding the power of labor, but having the courage to fight for people outside of your own household. There is an inherent selfishness to capitalism there's an inherent selfishness in the way that we conduct business in this country and what it has does and what it has done is that it has put all of us in harm's way. I will explain. So now we're in this place where we're reopening and everything is opening back up. Now, the question I have is, is what's the difference between the start, you know, of the COVID-19, um, not, I don't want to say hysteria, but I I will just, we'll just say shutdown the start of the shutdown versus now now you actually have more cases but what you have is that is that you have a a a a dangerous ideology a dangerous practice in this country that you know that where there is there's a certain type of politics that has taken away the urgency from covid-19 even though we have more cases it is this urgency that has forced many of us back to work during a time where Conditions are unsafe to work in, and not only are conditions unsafe to work in, but people are working for a wage that is not livable. And this is even more precarious for black folks. Why? Because statistically, our wealth and our assets are significantly less than those in white families. The average white family, I want to say, has an average uh, median wealth of $170,000. For the black family, it's less than $20,000. And so in that use, and there are, those disparities are consistent, even when we talk about black buying power, because what we don't talk about is white buying power, which uh, is along those lines in terms of being uh, 10 times more potent, 10 to 15 times more potent on average. And so because we haven't addressed these disparities in the midst of a conversation about Black Lives Matter, what we're seeing now is that we're seeing more people being placed in harm's way. And so now we're in a conversation where, if we're being honest, we should have never opened up businesses except for essential businesses. We should have continued to pay folks uh, in terms of, you know, if you're paying them from home, if you're paying unemployment at 100 percent, these things should have been paid out. But we're not paying those things And because we didn't take a stand as people. Now we're in a position where this political force is saying, okay, well, now we're going to get we got to get the kids back to school. So we're saying in the midst of a pandemic where people are not making a livable wage, where they're putting themselves in harm's way. Now they have to put their children in harm's way. And so now you have parents that are having to make tough decisions that are literally putting their kids um, in the way of COVID-19 or at risk of getting COVID-19. This is the country that we live in. And so often people are inclined to turn the argument to, well, I go to the store and I see people not wearing masks all the time. I see people going on vacation. You know i I see all i see people eating in restaurants and my response to that is is that the country is in as piss poor shape as it's in right now because we let stupid people dictate policy and why would you want to continue on a legacy of allowing stupid people reckless people to dictate policy that affects your life and it is here where i petition for black folks because black folks get the brunt or catch the brunt of a collective stupidity. I said at the beginning of, po- of the podcast that racism makes people do the dumbest things. There is a deliberate stupidity. There is a conscientious stupidity. There is a dangerous stupidity that affects this country that particularly affects black folks. And this is why I have to uplift black labor. The inclination for folks as, you know, you know, we're, we're in this period of great social upheaval. There is a, a temptation, there is a challenge from folks to say, support Black-owned business. And I understand it. To a certain degree, I adhere to it and I live by it as evidenced by the advertisements that you hear on this show. But I would be remiss if I didn't say that much like we have a willingness to fight for and to want to say we're going to support black business. We need to support black labor and we need to support people who are on the front lines, who are putting themselves um, in harm's way because they have no other way. Well, Ken, how do we support these people? Great question. The same energy that we are expending to take down statues and monuments and have conversations with elected officials, We're having conversations in this way. And and as a person who is (laughs) look who over the last nearly three years has proposed to have a monument taken down in my um, my living area and basically my hometown. I understand that there are important issues. I'm going to make it as plain as I possibly can make it Um, as a person who has pushed to have the Meriwether monument taken down. Um, in North Augusta, South Carolina, and the Merriweather Monument is a monument that literally speaks to the ideal. This is, like I said, I'm paraphrasing off of what's what was said as what is engraved on the monument. Um, it talks about the ideal of white supremacy. And so you have um, a city council um, who over the uh, near, like I said, nearly three years has um, been made aware of this monument. And while they have publicly denounced it. That is the least that they have done. They have sat on their hands and they have organized themselves in a way that has kept them from being accountable for taking down that monument, that hateful monument. And so even in the midst of fighting for that and understanding the relevance and importance of making sure that that is removed um, from a public view or from a public square, there are also pressing issues. Because as we as I drive through the downtown uh, downtown area of North Augusta. I see one black business. And that business. I actually see it is almost obscure in the way that it is actually on a small marquee. So if you do not know that it is there, you would otherwise not see it. And so I understand that as we are. um, Fighting, you know. To see the names, you know, uh, name changes and monuments come down. We have to fight for something more profound. We have to fight for black liberation. We have to fight for economic opportunity. And I want you to understand at this moment, those are two different things. We cannot limit the idea of black liberation to economic opportunity. I can put $500,000 in your pocket right now. And this is for black folks listening to the podcast, being very specific. $500,000 in your pocket right now. And you can buy the nicest car you ever want to buy or whatever it is that you want to do with your money. You can drive down the street and you can see the blue. You can see flashing lights come towards you. And there's a fear that goes through your heart. And that fear in your heart will turn into a lump in your throat if that car was to make a U-turn, that police car, and it was to drive behind you, not even to pull you over, but to drive past you. There's a lump in your throat. What type of freedom is that? And so when we talk about black liberation, we're talking about not only financial freedom, but we're talking about freedom from police brutality We're talking about freedom of speech, where you can speak boldly to black issues. And I mean black and understanding the polarity of that word, uh, black community concerns. And you can speak to those things and not be called a racist. There needs to be a historical and sociological revolution in this country that manifests itself in classrooms that allows or I don't even want to say allows that demands that the history of Africans in America, the history of African Americans be told in a way that helps people understand the relevance and the role of black labor and not only the building of this country, but the maintenance and the sustenance of this country. If we are not willing to do that, if we are not willing to prioritize black labor, even over the notion of black owned businesses and the black dollar, if we are not willing to prioritize policy changes that will not only defund the police but will empower black people in a way that turns ghettos into gardens without gentrifying the neighborhood and if we are not willing to run to and through white folks and white supremacists who are standing in the way of this progress then the black lives matter movement is currently constructed anywhere for damn and we'll be back here 12 months from now 12 weeks from now 12 days from now 12 minutes from now it's halftime y'all and i want to share uh a classic ep it's a classic i believe uh because it was created um after the the last flashpoint uh, really in uh the modern civil rights period which is 2014 in ferguson and so a young man you know who you know was part of a i guess a mumble rap movement made what was i believe unarguably his most important work you may remember OG Mako from songs like You Guessed It, uh, but he came out with a dope EP in 2014. The name of the EP uh, was Breathe, and so I'm going to play that entire nine-minute EP for you right now. It's got three dope records on there. Uh, Breathe is the name of the first one. Do Better is the name of the second joint, and the third one is aptly named Riot. And So I'm going to share that with you right now. Again, it is about nine minutes long. If you got uh, younger kids listening to it, I'm going to ask you to fast forward uh, to the Uh, hour-long mark in this podcast. Um, I appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back after these messages and after this music. You're listening to Making a Difference.
2: Pressing questions about argument, regression, recession, standardized testing, low wages, and homeless veterans. Why niggas jump to aggressions, and why just wanna be victims? When everyone is a it's niggas, these niggas killing. Why people who never hustled uplifted by dope boy lyrics? Why the lyrics demeanor of most of our country's people, and how our money supply can't exist to the naked eye? Marijuana illegal, but new points will make you die. Welcome to Scam America. All you need is a tie. Why does being whatever, whatever just sound like a lie? Why country so opposed to tyrants? biggest one why we scream peace so much but carry the biggest gun took a second for introspection and seen the lies we neglected no change for starving kids but spent 20 racks on the necklace and Muslim Catholic protesters spend most of their time protesting each other for minor details of slightly very religious they're creating hate and watch it grow like legions why do we pledge allegiance as soon as they think we sneak in this guilty to proven innocent so now they gambling and feed them, them on think we need them I tell my people get down Woah, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa living woah, woah, da woah, Whoa, woah, woah, I said woah, 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 Ta, 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 da woah, woah, ta, da. woah, Determination by denomination of destruction by the induction of ignorance. I ask you to get down with a cause ignorant of oppressive laws and knowledgeable of apparent flaws. This world is ours awesome, to watch over for those still in strollers. Do not allow them to be fed hate like stofas, for there's a promised land not yet seen except in dreams. And for that, we fiend and bleed and live and sin with the hope we might know freedom through more than our white friends. Forever yours, get down, my kin, get down, get down, get down, 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 down. So it's fitting that we are. It's hopeless souls who gifted but won't make it off that block. And mothers know to tell their sons be wary of the cops. Skin locked, friends lost. The picket fence was never arse. Swapped the white for grayish Boss, Chow time, wreck time. Dion stuck in A yard life is like a box of chocolates but these bastards spitting off crackers killing cold blood they just let darren realson walk if we go grab Kalishna claws we savage boots, they'll pick us off Trayvon couldn't have a hoodie, y'all. Kamani Gray was empty-handed. Lil Tamir was only 12 when they killed on November 22nd. Cameron Tillman, Sean Bell, this ain't nothing new to us. New Emmett Till's, you know the drill. They lit still just using guns. The biggest threat is our brown skin with miles filled and worse. something. All they want for us is crack houses and a hurt All these rich niggas in the world still want not night-night. I won't play the hype and just blame whites We gotta build something Yeah, I know we've been thugging But that shit is why we've been struggling Repair, replace, let's heal youngest. I dare to say let's live abundant You know what I'm saying, man? It's just niggas I ain't doing shit You feel me, nigga? Go do something, nigga Grab a young man Tell him do better The drug is like fuck pills, homie Have you ever even left your hood? What's good, you need a trip, don't you? Just don't use the lucid, you reputed. Actions putrid, 45 and you'll use it. You don't want a nine to five? Make a plan and fortify. I'll be in court all mortified. The hand is in it, that's big as shit. You won't see the light, you use 65. Just win, my nigga. It take plenty, focus and equal drive. You gotta dig, fuck, pity in my city. Love is semi, hate is auto. When you so far ahead, they just gotta follow. I got this far, knowing I would come behead them. Big head at my mind like man, dark and dexter. Not trying to preach, just teach. I reach that nigga under pressure. Impressive presidential potential, but he can't shine from them trenches. Sports one made for everybody. He spend his time on them bitches. Lose your pride and use your mind. You have to mind it for the riches. Do them dishes if you want. That residue will have you gone. The rent is due, you need some food. You give a fuck, less what I'm on. I under dig, don't get me wrong. But there's a world we got to change. You start with you, I'll get them going. It should have been a marathon. Let it marinate, let that man cook. May this truth I speak give me awkward looks. And open minds that's been mistook. Young Richard Nicks, I'm not a crook. Let's keep it real, let's change your foot, bitch. Y'all don't understand, so y'all will see it when we see the master plan, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah.
1: What's going on, everybody? It's Knife Wonder right here, man. And you're checking out Making a Difference with my man Ken Making, Keep it locked. Peace. We don't get to choose our parents. We don't get to choose what color we're born. It's more about at that point it becomes you're born. Here you are. You're what color you are. You're what nationality you are. And then it's what you do with it, right? To make a difference. To make a difference. To, to make a difference.
2: Where we started, right here in the darkness, in black places, clips and charges. My new my jealous marble. Looking straight out of marble, this shit might get ugly. This shit might get if you don't like me, you never discuss it. A Nash Pass discuss it. A nigga getting plays. I used to get played, now this 20K. I'm balling like 2K alive, the sliders is up, the game set on pro, I pro step the cop. Tell me what you want, we killin' for fun, I'm guilty, your honor. Has filthy from corners. I'm Gucci. I'm Donda. No money, no drama. New Do you wanna be a champion? You ain't going for the gold, but I'm not a minor. I was plotting Dolo 2 a.m. at diners. not the table loaded and no one's invited. We off reminded, cerebellum giant. Life is better free, so when you free to try, we've been shackled, grappled body, these weak desires. Y'all ain't sick and tired, y'all still uninspired. Should all conspire, ain't for something high. So all say, fuck it, go and start a ride. We just saw some victims helping fund the tyrants. Getting sprayed by hydras cause we so defiant. Middle fingers up, we are not complying. Let them say the lies. So, yeah, so they just want confinements, they just want diamonds They know we the diamonds, we forever violent Let's destroy the system, I demand a Yeah, yeah Let's destroy the system, I demand a riot, the riot, the riot. Yeah, yeah Let's yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. all say fucking go and start a riot We just saw some victims hopping from the towers It's sprayed by hydras cause we so defiant Middle fingers up, we are not compliant Yeah, yeah I demand a riot I demand a right yeah, My people lost, yeah. trying to map the future, what a moral compass. I'm just being honest, what a promised land. Can we get the corners they got on this fort? just to kill each other? Mother's praying daily, keep my soul from haters. You see all these bitches, can we mow some ladies? Can we treat Taisha like they treating Katie? Treating all these Katie. bats of babies, Brenda's still around. They building projects and we losing ground. Look around, it's all gentrified. Niggas out of sight, but we ain't out of time. What a fucking plank we being undermined. Underfunded, treated like a fungus. They call us niggas, take a culture from us. Gotta deal with Iggy's and the Macklemores. But girls was twerking, they was screaming, orbs. But Molly did it and she got a tour. The songs they fucking go and start a riot. Just saw some victims up in front of the getting sprayed by ours. It's gonna be so defined. Hit hey, the fingers up, we are not compliant. Let them see the lies, they answer so with the silence. Just want confinement, they just want indictments. They know we the diamonds, we forever vibing. Let's destroy the system, I demand a riot my
4: name is Lauren Macon, and you are listening to making a difference with my handsome husband Ken Makin.
0: This is Donald Doe and Mike Doe with Family Financial Consultants.
4: Do you need help with Medicare, with affordable mortgage and life insurance, building an estate for your child?
0: We provide these types of services for you and much more. As independent insurance brokers, we take pride in coming into people's homes and not only saving them money, but changing their lives.
4: Imagine only paying a few dollars for your medicine instead of hundreds or cutting the cost of your insurance premiums. Our goal is to provide affordable policies tailored to your individual needs.
0: Give us a call at 803-293-8915 or 706-503-3933. Family Financial Consultants LLC located at 412 Edgefield Road in North Augusta, South Carolina.
4: Agents work for companies, but a broker works for you. Too often, we're left wondering what happened, how it happened, and who made it happen. Too often, that is because we don't know enough about the functions of our local and state governments. Remember this, knowledge is power, engagement is crucial, and you can influence your quality of life based upon the choices you make on Election Day. Please follow me, Janice Allen Jackson, for the Local Matters Podcast here on SoundCloud. We will be interviewing candidates for various offices and we don't want you to miss it. Why should you follow local matters? Because local does matter.
0: Welcome back to making a difference. I'm your host Ken Making. Like I said, I'm just, I'm just grateful man for you all that have been riding from the podcast since, uh really since day one, man, we've been doing this now over five years, starting in January, 2015, just had a chance to, You know, I have some great conversations. I've had some great interviews with some amazing folks. I would encourage you, you know, if you're listening to this on SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever you're listening, go back and listen to some of the old conversations. I'm happy and proud to say that a lot of those conversations, I would say the overwhelming majority of those conversations have aged really well. Um, Just some of the you know things that I was able to say, you know, just years ago. And I believe that uh, this podcast will have that same type of energy It's something that, you know, you may listen to you know maybe a year from now and it will still be relevant and my hope is is that because you have to understand that you know as we push for a lot of these changes you know this stuff isn't going to happen overnight this is stuff that you're going to have to stay into and you're going to have to you know stay in the fight um not just for a week not just for a month but years a uh, year or years you know um especially when you talk about you know uh, reforming uh, defunding uh, abolishing Uh, the police like those are things that you have to understand so that when you talk there are certain ideas and initiatives that um, the two-party system and when i say the two-party system like i understand that it's two sides of the same coin but that they're going to both endorse and support and there are times when the two-party system endorses and promotes ideas that are profoundly wrong um, to not just include the police, but I just believe the way that we do politics in this country. You know, there's really no room for a true progressive movement. I think when you look at, and like I said, it's just an example of one of many examples. You know, when you look at uh, Charles Booker, you know, in, in Kentucky. And, and there you had a young man, not just because he's black, but because he's progressive. Who, you know, could have been in a position to challenge Mitch McConnell you know, someone who has been unrepentantly um, classist, racist, um, oppressive. And there was a real chance, you know, with Booker to, you know, try to get Mitch out of the paint. That's not going to happen now because Charles Booker didn't make it out of the primary because there was a, there was an establishment um, democratic movement to make sure that he did not advance. And it's just not in Kentucky. It's all over this country. And so, There's there are battles that are being waged, not just ideological battles, political battles, but real uh, concerns and issues that we must um, focus on that we must attack. And that is like I said, that's why that's why I'm here with this podcast. And that's why I use my platform um, in the way that I do. I just need you guys help. If you're listening to this podcast and whether you believe in the podcast or not, because and I'm saying that because there are some things that I'm saying, you're going to be like, man, I don't agree with that, dog. And I get it. But if you've made it to an hour and five minutes listening to this podcast, I like to believe that whether you disagree or agree with what I'm saying, you respect it enough where we're in a position now, hey, share this with somebody, man. Share this with somebody who is looking for news, is looking for a podcast. I know Augusta, Georgia, man, is looking for a podcast, is looking for a reliable place to get news and to have that news presented to him in a way that's real, that's rugged, that's raw. But it's always going to be um, for the advancement and the support of black people. And I apologize for nothing when it comes to my people. I want to close this podcast uh, with a general conversation. Uh, I want to, I'm going to talk about reparations here at some point. But I just want to challenge folks, you know, who are, are conscientious enough to, you know, be on social media and to say, hey, you know, I want to uh, make, listen to a podcast about social justice. And I want to challenge you in love to if your social justice movement is limited to the comment section. And if you're finding moral victories in 30 day Facebook bans and different things like that, and you're not taking a movement to the streets like we got to advance this thing. And I say that from a from this simple perspective, you want to challenge people who have the power to change the system. Arguing with, you know, Jebediah from, you know, some backwoods part of Louisiana, like on Facebook is not going to advance the conversation in a way that's going to create structural change. And I understand that some of us need that catharsis. And I understand that there are some battles that can and should be waged on social media. But like I said, I'm getting really concerned at this point that there there's a certain urgency to this movement for the simple reason that I do believe that we're seeing a collective um angst and disgust with how things are going in a way that and i just and i'm smart enough to know that this movement is not going to last in terms of having this like i said this this collective attention and involvement and when this attention and involvement subsides understand that there's going to be a very real backlash from the people who do not want to see things change who not only want to see a status quo but you know are of the idea that white lives matter who do believe in a profound. who do believe that white uh, supremacy is a profound idea. And so these are the people that we have to battle. And so I have to come back and talk about reparations. And I want to talk about reparations in a way today um, that is not just going to include the financial piece of of reparations, but it includes a historical and a sociological perspective to reparations. And so and, and what concerns me is that when it comes to black folks, I don't even think that it's the notion that black people do not want reparations. I think if you ask 100 black people, and again, there are over 300 million black people in this country. But just to say, if you're going to ask, you know, we'll just say 100 black people. Like the overwhelming majority of those folks are going to say, oh, you want to give me a check for how much money? Say less. There's a difference between wanting it and believing that you're going to get it. And so this is less about making an argument and it's more about helping people to understand the relevance of why. If you look at it from a historical perspective and you look at it again, from the perspective of black labor, understanding the how and why we were brought here and understanding that, okay, so we were brought here. There were other um, nationalities who were treated um, as indentured servants, but there was a transition between the idea of an indentured servant, or I, I should say a, A devilish and evil distinction that was made that made black folks or made Africans um, forcefully immigrated to America. Um, There is a distinction there that made us specifically enslaved people. And you have to understand that that period of time coincided with the building of America. And so once you go from that period to reconstruction, a lot of the things I've talked about with Jim Crow and the war on drugs and different things like that. Black people have a distinct claim i want to say black people (laughs) american descendants of slaves have a unique and distinct claim um to reparations and i know folks are doing a lot more reading and i'm i'm here to tell you right now that there is no revolution without reading you must read i understand you know uh, the, the desire and the temptation to want to speak based on your experiences and, and you know, in business and li- in life. I get it, but there must be consistent research and reading and development of ideas. We have to challenge ourselves. There are, and like I said, I got to go, go back to my man Doe. Um, and like I said, I appreciate Doe. What Doe says a lot is, is that from the time I started doing the pot to right now, like a lot of things with me have changed. And I'm here to tell you, first of all, shout out my man Doe again. That's my dude. But understand that that evolution and that development is going to be, uh, be consistent and it's going to be constant because I'm going to keep building on ideas because I'm going to keep reading. And so as folks are reading a, you know, a bunch of books and I get it, I'm going to challenge you to make the investment in From Here to Equality, Reparations for Black Americans in the 21st Century. Uh, it's a book by a Dr. Uh, Sandy Darity, uh, William A. Darity Jr. and I miss and his wife uh, Kirsten Mullen. And I, as you know, if you guys are listening to the pod, you know I've had them uh, on the podcast previously. This book is so important uh, to not only the discussion of Black re- reparations, but of a Black uh, reeducation, and particularly as it relates to just the history of this country and and. So much of it hasn't been taught or if it has been taught, there's been like a miseducation. There's been a propaganda that we all need to fight through, whether you're listening to podcasts, if you're black, if you're white, understand what reparations means. It is, as we talk about reforms and, you know, we use this type of rhetoric, like reparations has to be a part of that. America has shown at this point that she is willing to address the problem, but if she is not willing to redress the problem or rectify the problem, then we're going to be right back here, like I said, in a few months or a few days or, you know, however long it takes for, um, you know, this injustice to present itself in a way that draws the attention of, of the national media and of, of people all over the country and all over the world. That's all I got to say for now. I appreciate you guys so much for listening to the Making a Difference podcast and Making a Difference show. I want you to know that we are constantly just developing new ways and new ideas. Um, and like I said, I know I'm challenging myself, um, to build the podcast. If there's anything that, you know, that you want to recommend or any way you want to support, obviously, you know, I encourage that so much. Um, and I appreciate you for that. I want to close out, uh, with, uh, Stokely Carmichael, uh, Kwame Ture's challenge, uh, to white America. This is an interview that he did with Mike Wallace. I actually just saw it this or just viewed it this morning. And I want to share it with you guys as well. I think it's, uh, a great way to wrap up this podcast i love you guys so much peace and god bless you're one black
1: man who went to a good essentially white high school in the city of new york that's you black. obviously had had a good education that's a good many of the people who work with you here in SNCC can say the same thing and we're saying that and you're a black man who came from a new york
5: ghetto and we're saying that there's a system that allows for one or two black people to
1: get out And that that's the rationale for keeping other black people down. And it has nothing to do with the unwillingness or inability of the Negro to help himself and to work hard. That's
5: the rationale, that the reason why black people aren't this is because they're lazy, unambitious, stupid, have rhythm, and they eat watermelon.
1: You call on the black man to refuse to respond to his draft call. That is correct. And we will continue to do so while there's breath in our bodies. Do you really believe that the military policies of the United States are designed to exterminate the black man, as you've said? I most certainly do. I look
5: at the recent statement by Racist McNamara, who says that 30% of the people that are going to be drafted now under his new system are going to be black people, and that's nothing
1: more than black urban removal. The white liberal who supported civil rights for so long with time and effort and money, what is your feeling about him? I
5: think that there's no reason why they should stop supporting the movement now. I certainly feel that if they're genuinely interested in black people, and since black people have charted a course, they believe in that program, they will continue to give to it. They need more white people to civilize whites. They need them to civilize the savages in Cicero who throw rocks and bricks at a peaceful and lovable black man like Dr. Martin Luther King, who would not even hurt a fly. Well, that's very important, because our uncles and our fathers and our older brothers died in World War I, fighting Nazism to protect the Poles, and those same Poles turn around and throw rocks and bricks at us after we died to save their lives.
1: And people talk about we are savages. Mr. Carmichael, if you had the chance to stand up in front of the white community and say anything you desired, say to him, understand me, white man, what would you say? I would say, understand yourself, white
5: man, that the white man's burden should not have been preached in Africa, but it should have been preached among you that you need now to civilize yourself. You have moved to destroy and disrupt. You have taken people away. You have broken down their systems, and you have called all that civilization. And we who have suffered at this are now saying to you, you are the killers of the dreams. You are the savages. Yes, it is you who have always been un. Civilized. Civilize yourself. The revolution will
2: not be televised. You see, a lot of times people see 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 battles and skirmishes on TV and they say, aha, the revolution is being televised. Nah. The results of the revolution are being televised. The first revolution is when you change your mind about how you look at things and see that there might be another way to look at it that you have not been shown. What you see later on is the results of that, but the revolution, that change that takes place, will not be televised.